Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Commissioning Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and Nick Taliska. So today's podcast topic is the recommissioning process and requirements. As you guys know, we've been going through this podcast kind of outlining a lot of the different phases and steps required in the commissioning process. And, and we just recently completed that discussion. And now we're diving into the recommissioning process. So the name may seem pretty self-explanatory being recommissioning, but I think it's worth a diving into this process because it is different than commissioning and outlining what it is. And there's kind of some different requirements to to need recommissioning, obviously, compared to commissioning. As I said, I know it's pretty self-explanatory, but Mark, would you, or Nick, would you want to kind of just give me a broad brush outline of what recommissioning is, if you, if you can go deeper than just the name at face value? So recommissioning, obviously, by the name, the building has been commissioned once at one time, presumably when it was either newly constructed or if it was not newly constructed at some time in the past. So recommissioning as opposed to retro commissioning, recommissioning is basically commissioning the building back to its original as built or maybe minimally modified as built conditions of operation. There may be code, new code um, parameters that are incorporated in the recommissioning, but basically it's the retesting and verification of performance of the building systems. Kind of like takes it back, as you said, to its original design standards, I guess you would call it that. Or if there's any performance standards. Performance standards. Yeah, right. Okay. So, and that makes absolute sense. Like when does an owner or a facility manager just decide or say, you know what, it's time to recommission in this place. Like, how do you get to that point? Or where do you often get engaged? Or how would you get engaged, I guess, by facilities? So it really happens in two basic ways. Number one, there are facilities where they say, we'll commission this building at every X calendar interval. And that happens, you know, there are, for instance, Penn State, Cornell University, all have recommissioning schedules for their facilities. And other times, which is probably more frequent, the building performance deteriorates in some uh, at some facet, either building comfort, energy use, uh, ventilation, indoor air quality, or some other indicator that there is a problem in the building operation. So recommissioning can occur after a certain amount of time has expired since the first commissioning effort. And you can basically be looking at the same sort of performance standards, if you will, and adjusting back to those, right? Correct. Or there can be a slight change in, let's say, the underlying fundamentals of the the OPR. That blurs the line between retro commissioning and recommissioning because if it's if it's substantial enough, you know, we're changing the building use, which either okay, we've added two hundred more employees into the building, so we need to review our our DCV function, or we need to review our minimum ventilation requirements under you know uh, DCV calculation. Those kind of things, and and it, in general, though. 
uh, recommissioning is much more heavily on the spectrum where the building is operating pretty much as originally designed or originally commissioned. Well, that's exactly what I was kind of getting at that because I have, you know, those blurred lines as, as well I've experienced understanding. And then I always think about, well, how much of a change constitutes it being a recommissioning versus a new commissioning. You can go to extremes and obviously understand where those would be. So then the next logical question in my mind, and I always look to whenever I see a recommissioning project, is the level of documentation from the original commissioning and how critical is that then to the recommissioning process? And I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead in your no, no, process no. here. These are the things that this is kind of a, you know, sometimes I just, you know, I read the descriptions or, you know, years ago, recommissioning, retro commissioning. And I just kind of thought, oh, just all just commissioning with just modifiers. Let's just figure out how to commission stuff and worry about all the terminology. But as I've, I guess, matured in the field, I've come <laughs> to see the distinction between that. But still, it is something that I, I don't think is uh, you know, that concretely understood amongst all practitioners i would agree i i you know me being an automotive fanatic or whatever you want to call it you know the when you buy a new car you look in the back and it says okay at, we want to do the three thousand mile review of performance you take your car to the shop they put the obd scanner on it they look at all the wear points is everything operating as it should you know look at the oil Make sure, you know, especially back in the old days, you had break-in oil and you had all that crazy stuff. Well, then there's the 15,000 mile and 30,000 mile and 60,000 mile. Those are all basically the commissioning process where everything gets inspected and adjusted to operate the way that it left the factory floor. And that's a very clear example because nothing presumably is going to change in how you want that vehicle to perform in terms of fuel economy emissions things like that correct i'm not i don't want to make it sound like i'm like challenging what you just stated but wouldn't is that different as in that would be like ongoing commissioning if that if that's a term oh I guess. there's a whole other term you're right well as, as opposed to of, you know recommissioning uh very different though so we look at it differently right commit continuous commissioning was um introduced a few years ago, predominantly by Texas A&M University, where they equate it to eyes and ears monitoring the system on a continuous basis versus just uh, interval sampling. So okay. they're looking for deviations in performance. So again, going down the road, we can say, okay, we're doing continuous commissioning by watching the, I'm not a fan of the low level indicators, like just the, my check engine light came on. Typically, I have I expect vehicles to have gauges or indicators for oil pressure, water temperature, transmission temperature, those kinds of things. And as mm -hmm. I'm driving down the road, I look at those things, mm -hmm. especially if you're, I'm towing something or whatever. So that would, I think, be more equivalent to continuous commissioning where okay. I see what's going on on a real-time basis. And if I see a problem, I can preemptively pull over. I have a low tire warning, for instance, I pull over, hey, do I really have a flat tire happening or do I just need to pull into the filling station and, and top it off? Right. Is it any different, like say, you know, a facility is built 
commissioned, all is good, operating perfectly, past you know, functional testing, the commissioning, and then it exists for, I don't know, 10 years. And in that 10 years, the the purpose of the building does not change, you know. It's still doing what it was originally intended to do, same amount of occupants, what have you. But they put in new equipment. Do you just, when you, you know, how does that work for recommissioning? You know, if you're, maybe they upgraded their chiller, but it's still the same chilled water system or, I don't know, air handlers, anything equipment-wise. You just still go in and recommission it to its original performance standard per se, or what it should be at with newer equipment? Well, do we make the assumption that that equipment was commissioned when it was put in as well, or it was just installed ad hoc as a assumed one-to-one replacement? I would say just, I would assume it as a one-to-one replacement. You know, the facility did it internally, if you wanted to call it that. Then I would go back and commission it hundred percent, assuming that it had never been commissioned. Okay. Then that raises an interesting you know, I guess uh, just not even question or concern, but just item that uh, Clayton that. So then when you go through the recommissioning process, then you could be commissioning, recommissioning systems that were installed over different periods of time, but they all do need to go through that initial commissioning process. I don't, that wouldn't be any different. Like Mark said, if you put in a new chiller, mm-hmm. I wouldn't think whether how, how like and kind it was it's right. a new piece of equipment going in. So mm-hmm. so that would actually be the first time commissioning for that piece of equipment. Yeah, that technical commissioning, you're right. Yeah, as opposed to just doing whatever kind of startup stuff that right. may do. And maybe that doesn't happen often facility, you know, in industry. But I don't know. I, I have a feeling it could. <laughs> so. Oh, it definitely happens. Yeah, yeah. So wh- why is recommissioning needed? You know, obviously you have time-related performance loss, um, poor maintenance, potentially new equipment, right? Um, and then an owner would potentially engage a, re- a commissioning firm once they start identifying maybe high energy use, right? Or issues like that, or maybe quality issues, I assume. Well, and those kinds of problems, depending on how much attention is given to under the underpinnings of the system uh, can manifest themselves in very short order, or sometimes depending on how well systems are attended to, maybe not at all, you know, energy, building performance, environmental stability, process stability. There's a huge variation from building to building system type to system type and level of, maintenance and operation attention to mechanical systems. You know, I've been in buildings that are 15 years and some never commissioned at all, but right. literally the mechanical rooms are spotless. The equipment is as new, even though it was installed in 1985, because it's well attended to, well maintained, and the operations team in general inspects that equipment and expects it to perform as designed because it's the heart lifeblood of the building operations. The other side of it is there are facilities where environmental stability or process stability are less a factor or uh, less critical and mechanical systems receive less attention. So it may be a year or two years 
between the between initial construction and or commissioning and degradation of performance to the point where the building needs to be commissioned again. Yeah, and you can't discount the uh, mark as you were saying the human element in there, and you know people do go in there as things they're responding to changes in the systems, whether it's you know failure of components or just the general wear and tear of the equipment, and they make changes as well. You know they're possibly not looking back to the you know overriding project documents to make sure everything's in line with the you know OPR from the start years ago. So that is a big part of it. And, and Mark's completely right about the ones that are, at least that I'm familiar with, that have a recommissioning process and it's set and they do it periodically, are the facilities that have production, pharmaceuticals, clean rooms, laboratories, those types of places. And unfortunately, it's the mechanical systems that serve people and indoor air quality for general occupancy that seem to be the ones where a recommissioning discussion sometimes can be a new topic to them, but one that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's interesting, and I'll go off on a tangent right now. That there was a facility that um, we commissioned, and everything was in place, working, etc. And uh, during the course of a extremely challenging winter, some adjustments were made to. So it's a, a standard. 85, 90 vintage construction VAVs with reheat plus perimeter radiation mm -hmm. on the exterior of the building, 65 story office building. So there were heat exchangers that broke the pressure uh, drop from, you know, multi floors. But anyway, we got a call back the following summer because the electrical energy consumption was 40% more than it had been the previous year. So went to the building and the operations team during that um, particularly brutal winter had changed the hot water schedule so that hot water schedule wasn't from zero to 100 degrees outside air, uh, 85 to 180 degree hot water, but had fixed it at 200 degrees. So during the winter, everybody was probably more than comfortable but during the summer, the hot water was running continuously and they were basically simultaneously heating and cooling. Nice flow of warm air around that perimeter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I could yeah. see where that was going right when you started with in the winter. <laughs> in the, and, you know, that is just a simple matter of, okay, we made the, the performance parameter change and, you know, with the best intentions, absolute best intentions. And then like we all do, uh, forgot about it. And yep. it was a, oh crap, mm -hmm. simple, you know, at the same time, maybe the schedule could have been tweaked a little bit to give us a higher hot water temperature at low temperatures versus just a fixed set point. But either way, it was a pretty simple fix. So did you stop there in the recommissioning process then? We did some more inspections and basically uh, confirmation of the VAV system, you know, check right. static pressure on the VAV system and, you know, those kinds of things. But in general, this is a pretty conscientious team that was managing the building. It was a simple oversight. Yeah, that was the smoking gun and yep. everyone kind of was like, oh, there it is. Okay. Right. In that instance. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So do we want to dive into more of the process, I guess, for recommissioning? I did my own little bit of research being, you know, newer into the recommissioning world. And it seems like, I mean, obviously, I guess you would say that it has a uh, similar process to commissioning. And it, actually, there is a similar guideline from what I saw too, from ASHRAE. So tell us what you found. So I, I did my digging <laughs> and it looks like, and I, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's a, a guideline point two and 1.2. The internet's great because you can find this stuff, but they make you pay to, to actually open the guideline. So I didn't do that, but I, I searched around and did my digging. And from what I saw, it's, it's pretty similar. You know, we talked about the OPR in previous episodes, owner's project requirements. Well, this one, you would start maybe with a, a CFR, current facility requirements. Do your boots on the ground research. What is the What were the original design documents, commissioning documents? Evaluate the existing system then. And in that evaluation, I assume you may find some things that are have deviated from the original design, like you said, maybe the hot water schedule. So you then go ahead, generate your recommendations, what needs to be done to get the facility back to original operational status. Um, generate your functional testing documentation, do functional testing. And then there's even what I found interesting, again, from what I saw, was there's still training involved in this um, recommissioning process. And at that point, you may want to develop what we call the continuous commissioning plan. That's my 10,000 foot, what is involved in recommissioning. So I'll let you dig Great in. Great summary. <laughs> well, so just go right back to the first thing you talked about, the CFR. Yep. If there have been no changes in the building, mm -hmm. the CFR should be identical to the original, original OPR. That's true. Yeah, I agree with that. So it follows the, the guideline exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it depending on the time frame that's elapsed, if there have been no code changes, no applicable standard changes, then you're going right through the process as in the original commissioning process. Right. But there, there needs to be a period of time in between this, right? That you need to say, this is what is, if there is wrong with the facility, maybe your filters are crazy dirty or your set points are out of whack or whatever. And they need to change that. And then you need to go back and identify that the changes bring them back to the OPR, essentially, right? Bring them back to the functional yeah. uh, performance requirements. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Is that sometimes challenging? Like, have you gone to facilities and said, here's your list of stuff that's not right? And they're like, oh my gosh, uh, this is going to take us a really long time to get back. Maybe not. Maybe they're usually right on it. They expect it. But- I don't know. I could imagine you have some stories. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it's depending on the length of time, the changes are generational. And I don't mean generational like between, you know, the, the, the 30 year life cycle generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, as there's turnover in the maintenance and operations team, Generation one made some modifications that were already in place when generation two came on board. Right. That uh, were by 
their in their view were the de facto standard of operation right generation two makes a change that is is additive to additive or uh you know a further change from generation one and now generation three comes on board and now we have the you know the new de facto standard until basically you end up with a plate of spaghetti where nobody can tell what was original and nobody yeah. can tell what's new so yeah, there are times when we've come into buildings and, uh, you know, what was, for instance, a 100% outside air unit, uh, they had uh, taken the filter door off and put a piece <laughs> of ductwork in it. And now it's a mixed air unit, but all the return air was coming through the mechanical room. Right. Uh, and not necessarily from the space. So obviously that had an impact on the air balance. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the ventilation requirement. So that's just one example. Yep. I mean, there are places where we've seen people, uh, we, we recommissioned one building or process actually where they couldn't figure out why their water quality was so bad on their, uh, chilled water system. So somebody had added a chilled water loop with, and I don't know why, and, and, and again, people take matters into their own hands. They needed chilled water to a new piece of equipment, so they ran a supply line over to it, put a control valve on it, and then apparently didn't know what to do with the return or what came out of the process, and they dumped it to drain. Oh. So the water treatment guy was there basically twice a week. The makeup water the automatic makeup water valve was open yeah a third never of the time yeah, yeah and the chiller tubes were still fouling and i spent a lot of time looking for a return water line and couldn't find it and um, finally said hey there's no return water from this you're dumping all your chill water to drain and first they wouldn't believe that so we had to do a water quality test to prove that it was in fact chill water not city water and there you go but that's an example of something you might find during recommissioning where now there's an undocumented change yeah and hey we need to we need to make some modify some big modifications right yeah hopefully you don't run across that type of modification <laughs> too too often that seems uh very memorable but i i would hope very rare i mean you dump a lot of you know condensate to drain i guess i don't know why that's any more acceptable but uh yeah chilled water return well, condensate's even more expensive than chill yeah. water. I know. I was just kind of thinking it, but yeah, you're right. It's more, uh, at least common in my experience. Absolutely. But you're right. Any of those changes that happen, particularly in uh, ventilation systems with interior modifications can seem, you know, very benign at the time and they serve the, the, the purpose of what they're trying to achieve in the space, but right. that can have a, a, a very adverse effect on a lot of other things going on back in the mechanical rooms. So I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, a couple of years ago, I got a phone call from a large university, uh, the utilities director. And she told me that, Hey, we're having a problem. Maybe you can help. And so they have a primary chill water system for the campus. And from the primary chill water system, they have a secondary loop that runs out into the campus. In some cases they have a tertiary loop. So they, they built a new building and they tagged on another loop off an existing secondary loop. So they had um, extended the pipe, so on and so forth, and 
put this building online. The problem statement that she gave me was our uh, energy consumption has gone up on both the chilled water and the steam side. I said, okay. And she said, I said, how far did you extend the piping? Oh, um, about three quarters of a mile. Okay. Um, how big, how many ton load is this building? The building load was 1600 tons. I said, okay, tell me how the startup went. Well, initially we didn't have enough chilled water to the building. I said, so you raised the secondary loop chill water pressure set point. Yes, we did. I said, how many other buildings are connected to this? She said, nine. I said, nine. And are those the buildings that are having the uh, high energy usage? Yes. How did you know? I said, well, because I know that the chilled water valves in those buildings are predominantly normally closed pneumatic chilled water valves that you're operating using the DDC system with transducers. And when you raise the chilled water pressure, those valves are lifting off the seats. So even though you're giving them 100% closed command, the spring is insufficient force to hold the valves closed. So you're getting flow past it. She said, that seems very unlikely. I said, well, that's what I'm telling you, I think is happening. She called me the next morning and said, you were right. I said, well, that, you have to think systemically when you make those changes. So they had gone on for five months trying to figure this out, but you have to think of the entire system design as a commissioning agent or you know, building diagnostician, if that's what you want to call it. Oh, great example on yeah, so many absolutely. levels plus... Uh... Yeah, the plan never overrides uh, physics, you know? That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's an exponential curve of how quickly this can turn into not so much a recommissioning, but a new commissioning, a retro commissioning, whatever. Because, mm -hmm. you know, unless it's a very, I mean, I don't know, I think of the simplest buildings I'm familiar with are the K through 12 facilities in our systems that have been right. built decades ago. I mean, a lot of new ones too, but you know, their form and function doesn't really change. Right. Even with different occupancy levels, but there mm -hmm. might be obviously different requirements there. There it's more it can be ventilation standards and whatnot and different technology that comes into play that makes the problems they're experiencing less so in the future. For most other places, I mean, I can think of, there's changes that are happening within weeks after commissioning is complete. And uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of the recommissioning and setting up, but when you're done with commissioning, there should be talks about when are we gonna do this again and in a phased right. approach. And because it does become a different sort of project when you're recommissioning and things are operating and serving spaces. But, well, and well, I think, right. oh, go ahead, Clayton. No, I was just going to say, Mark, I mean, you've, you've obviously made it clear that, that training for facility people is extremely important because they can make the greatest intentions. They can have the greatest intentions to tweak the system. It could be completely wrong. So like as part of the recommissioning process, I get why it has training in it because let's get the facility back to where it needs to be. And now let's make let's make sure everybody that's, you know, maintaining this facility has a good understanding of systemically why it needs to be this way and what these changes can cause down the road. So that's a, obviously a, I just wanted to jump in and say it's a 
I imagine a huge part of the recommissioning process as well is the training and the ongoing commissioning, if possible. Well, and I think to add into that, never, ever, ever underestimate the creativity or skill set of the occupants of a building. Yeah. Simple example, commission a new building, go back in the wintertime, and how many electric heaters do you see under the desks? Mm-hmm. And that was certainly not part of the original design intent, but people take matters into their own hands. Yeah. Terminal reheats. They just put their right. own in. Yeah. <laughs> Do you often go into a facility? I don't know. It's, you know, we'll, we'll call it old. I don't know what, what, how old is old, but like the, what if I want to say the control system is like extremely outdated or just very degraded you know they come in and say we need you to recommission this place and you go in and you see man this this control system isn't doing <laughs> it anymore like what do you do then you just do we say okay it may be time for a capital project i guess you'd call it that well so i, I have to back up you're making the assumption that a control system or bms is required to be in place to perform proper commissioning and yeah I that's true i would not necessarily agree with that Mm -hmm. there are plenty of facilities that don't have a bms all they have is maybe rooftop units Mm -hmm. with thermostats Mm -hmm. and in that case okay you go back to the old school and get your vom your gauges your temperature probes your psychrometer uh your airflow meter and go to work Mm -hmm. It, it really depends on what the owner's project requirements are in terms of the opr Hey, if they need continuous monitoring, if they need trend data, if they need all that stuff, then they should, you know, upgrade the the system to get what they need. But, you know, I, I'll say it, and maybe it's blasphemous, but a BMS is not required to maintain building operating conditions. It's a nice tool, but it's a, a high, um, well, maybe not a high-end tool, but it's a tool that not everybody wants or needs. Well, let's say like, um, maybe I, maybe I said that wrong or maybe I was, I was thinking more towards like, you know, everything's pneumatically controlled and my compressors have been spitting oil into the pneumatic lines for however long and everything's stuck open because there's no more air pressure getting to these things, whatever, whatever, you know what I mean? And maybe that's just like, I'm, I'm looking for a, a far out crazy Clayton, it sounds like you've been on a job like that. I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a few things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but I imagine you you could, in recommissioning, kind of see that and identify those are the reasons why maybe they're calling you for recommissioning. Why am I using so much energy? Well, because everything's stuck open on reheat or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. And at that point, you probably just, that's a, you give them their options. I assume you could do this or this and let them decide. And then you've, Go on. And I, I, I think it would have to be situational. Like you said, yeah, I got to right. all those places with the, you know, the giant pneumatic panels and, yep. you know, I mean, you got to have somebody that's going to be able to, you know, weigh the pros and cons of, yeah. okay, we can get this working again, but, you know, here's your issue. And then couple that with the training aspect, you know, mm-hmm. are the people that are there in the facilities now equipped to understand pneumatic technology and, or can you replace all that with a $69 control module or something right, for that particular right. unit? Mm-hmm. Well, it comes down to 
operating costs and reliability too. I mean, I have some automobiles that were manufactured in the 60s. I like working on them. I like tuning them. They don't have any onboard electronics, but they're not the vehicles that I would take on a cross-country trip right. uh, with the you know wife and grandkids just because I don't mind being stranded on the side of the road myself, but not with a, a car full of uh, grandbabies yeah. and a yeah. wife. So you take yep. the new car with all the diagnostics built in that'll tell you a thousand miles before you have a problem that, hey, we're going to go into limp mode if you don't fix this problem. So there's, you know, I agree with Nick. It is entirely situational. Mm-hmm. And the the talent base of individuals that can maintain a pneumatic system is obviously going away just based on aging out. So there's a lot of benefits to go to full electronic or BMS uh, control. I agree. I think that's a good explanation too. And then it kind of leads me, I guess, into my next question. Like, there's to me, it could be some pretty hard lines you got to draw in the sand to have your recommissioning process not turn into some sort of an energy audit, right? Like when you go into a facility and you see they're 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 pumping lead lag with whatever, you know, single speed pumps, pretty easy to go and say, why don't you put some drives on this and pump them in parallel? But that's not what you came there to do. You know what I mean? Do you, how do you draw that line? Are you just, that's, it's known that that's the line. We're not doing an energy audit. We're recommissioning. Well, I, I would think, you know, when, when we listen to some of the, the stories and experiences, I mean, a lot of the recommissioning I guess call outs from from a customer or facility owner come because they're noticing something in their in their utility spend. Right. So there is, I guess before you would formally get into the recommissioning scope, you know, there would be that that part where you're working out or you know, where is the boundary of what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't see why you wouldn't be able to or want to offer a right suggestion towards, you know, here's a better way to do this or mm-hmm. Speaking to Mark's point too, long-term reliability and maintainability and all that goes into it. But I think you're right. There is a there is a, a, a obviously a line uh, between the two efforts. But and I'm just trying to get crossed. your insight. Yeah, I mean, it just to me, it seems easy to cross that line. I mean, when you go into a facility and you know doing it another way is better, but back when that building was designed and implement, you know, installed and commissioned that, you know, the, the more energy intensive way, if you want to call it, that was the standard. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just seems like that you can see that a lot. And I wanted to get your guys thoughts on, do we draw that line or not? It, it depends to a certain extent on the talents set uh, in the commissioning team and whether or not they are, uh, focused on that as well. And certainly mm-hmm. if the, as we produce the CFR document, if the energy consumption is identified as part of the problem set, then you would want to look at it, uh, you know, from an energy opportunity perspective. Right. Part of it is many of us have been doing this so long. It's almost, you can't help yourself, but to bring forward at least the opportunities at a high level and say, do you want more? information or documentation on this as far as the mm-hmm. magnitude of the opportunity. That was thoughtful, Mark. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, I mean, 
I guess we're kind of getting to the point in the episode now that we, we have covered a, what, what recommissioning is a little bit of the difference between recommissioning, continuous commissioning and retro commissioning. And, and for our listeners tuning in, we will be talking about retro commissioning on the next episode. So um, I would like to go back and go one step further on your question about what if there's not a BMS in place or the BMS is outdated. Yeah. Okay. Typically the controls contractor or and or the control system is a significant player in a large scale recommissioning project or you know even a small scale sometimes. So BMS systems technology changes rapidly. Um, one of the things we usually or not usually we often find is that the BMS system has not been updated, hasn't been maintained necessarily under contract, but there comes a point where there are significant performance changes in generations of BMS. So to the extent possible, it may be necessary to look at not necessarily replacing, but certainly to update or improve mm-hmm. the performance of the BMS without a lot of very large capital costs. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I can imagine just like you said, like the mechanical equipment as well, that's something that needs to be maintained and updated. It's even, you know, I don't know if you can call it security wise, software wise, all that stuff that is important right. for the, you know, the operation of the system as a whole. So I, I think we got, we covered what we really needed to cover, what I wanted to cover in this episode. Do we have any parting thoughts on recommissioning? Well, you know, why do it? Well, that's a simple question. Everybody drives an automobile or even if you drive a bicycle, Mm -hmm. do you inspect it? Do you check to make sure, make sure that, Hey, it's performing as it should. Are there any wear items that need to be replaced? If so, are those, will they impact longevity or performance of the system? So the value of recommissioning, you know, I, I go back to what my grandfather always said, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. So recommissioning extends the life and the performance of the building and makes it a more comfortable, stable environment. So certainly you should do it. Building and building systems are an enormous capital investment. You want them to perform at the highest levels of efficiency and it should be done. I totally agree. I think the point of the commissioning follows through with recommissioning that you're, you're not operating the equipment and systems in a building just so they don't break down, right? We maintain the systems, but you need them to perform at a certain standard or level and periodic checking of the systems, depending on their criticality and uh, complexity. I, I definitely think the value of what you have invested in those systems, well worth it. A thoughtful approach that is. I think I'm going to take it back to Mark's uh, automotive analogies. It, to me, it's similar to if you live in a state that requires it, your annual, you know, inspection. <laughs> or emissions in, test. We or emissions part. test. Yeah. Make sure it's running right. I mean, even just to say, you know, you know, if you check your car once a year and you find your ball joint starting to go, that's when you want to find out it's starting to go. Not when your whole hub's off on the side of the road on the throughway. So right. you can yeah. identify things that are starting to go awry and adjust it now as opposed to further down the road when there's there bigger are, issues. There's a variety of studies that have been done and documentation by 
FEMP, by ASHRAE, by various independent entities that provide ranges of energy consumption or energy reduction mm-hmm. that can be pro- pro- accomplished via uh, recommissioning. So, you know, they range from two to 10%. Well, those are big numbers compared to a relatively, what could be a relatively low cost recommissioning effort. Right. Yep. I think we covered a lot guys. And with that being said, I, th- I think we can wrap this podcast up if you don't have anything else you want to chime in with. Nope. Awesome. Good job. Well, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. I hope it was an insightful podcast. Uh, it, it surely was for myself. I know we covered the commissioning process heavily and, and that made a lot of sense, but recommissioning is something maybe that you don't, you're not involved with every day. And it, it's very similar, obviously, to the commissioning process. We covered the process why you might need to do it or want to do it and, and kind of the good practices, practices towards it. So with that being said, thanks a lot and stay tuned. Our next episode, as I said before, we'll be discussing retro commissioning. So that'll be a really, I think a fun podcast as well. And for more information on VS energy or applied facility science, feel free to check out our webpages, www.vsenergy.us or www.appliedfacilityscience.com. So thanks a lot. Have a great day and we'll talk to you later.